We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome to Grounded and Growing in Christ. I'm Dan Rhoda, a pastor of Worland Park Christian Reformed Church, and today we are going to open the Bible together to hear from God's Word. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. There you can learn more about this audio ministry, and we'd love if you'd consider providing financial support by making a gift of any amount. If you're not part of the local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com. We're going to take a look at the letter of 2 Peter, chapter 1, starting at verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. At the very center of the passage that we're looking at today is the call to moral reformation. Is the call to make every effort to grow in virtue, to exert yourself greatly to grow, to grow your faith. And that central message or thrust of the passage is birthed out of an important operating principle within the passage. There is a deep gospel logic at play. And that is... That at the very outset, it's important for us to see, to bear witness to, to acknowledge that true moral reformation is impossible without gospel transformation. I want to say that again. True moral reformation is impossible without gospel transformation. And the first part of this passage tells us about gospel transformation which God brings and God alone. Let me, let, let's just take a look at those first few verses, those first two verses again. We're told his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. 
What's that telling us? Well, to all of us who are in Christ Jesus, God's divine power has already granted all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything that you need, all of the things God has already given to you by his divine power. He's already given to you his precious and his great promises. Through him, you have become partakers in the divine nature. You've escaped the corruption that is in this world because of sin. All of this has happened because of God and God alone. Because of God and God alone. It's his divine power. It's his divine power which has been acting and operating from the very beginning to the very last, bringing us out of darkness into light, bringing us out of death into life, bringing us from unbelief to belief. It's God's power. It's God's divine power which saves and it's God's power alone. That's one of the things that we must never forget in the course of our life. Oh, All that we have experienced and been blessed with and have been given has been given by the grace of God from the very first to the very last. This is the gospel logic that's at play in the scriptures. We have been saved not by our own works so that we cannot boast. God saves. God alone saves. God does it. And in much of this sermon, I'm going to encourage all of us to exert great effort in the course of our faith. But please, let's be clear this morning. Let's be clear that no matter how much effort you exert in the course of your faith, it is not you who saves yourself, it's God who saves. God saves from the very beginning to the very end. But I also want for us to see that God's saving work is not opposed to effort in the Christian life. God's saving work, God being the one who redeems us, is not opposed at all to the call in Scripture for us to try hard, for us to to really give our best to this. Not so that we can be saved, but because we have been saved. All things have come to us from God. Not most things. All things that pertain to life and godliness have come. Not everything with an asterisk. All things. God has done it all. God has done it all. That's the point of verses three and four. But then do you see, do you see the way that the passage then motivates us and moves us to think and to act and to live? We're told in verse five, because God has done it all, therefore work hard. Because God has done it all, work hard. This is what verse five says. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and so on and so on and so on. For this very reason. And so it's saying, because God has accomplished all that you need in the course of your life, for that reason, work hard. God completing the work of salvation makes you and me want to work. God completing the work makes us want to work. We work not to earn, but we do exert effort. This is perhaps understressed in my own preaching. This might be a deficiency that I have as a preacher. God saves. God redeems. I want to make sure that I do not ever for an instant suggest that there is anything that you or I could do that could either create or could add to our salvation. And at the same time, at the same time, 
The Christian life is a life of effort. Don't come to Jesus and expect not to do anything after you meet Jesus. Don't come to Jesus and encounter him and then expect to go away unchanged after that encounter. Don't come to Jesus and be renewed, be brought from death to life, be brought from darkness into light and expect for the rest of your life just to be the same as it was before you met Jesus. You can't be transformed by Jesus and then not actually be transformed. The transforming work of God in redemption creates an effect. Come to Jesus. Be saved by him and him alone. And then make every effort. Make every effort. Come to Jesus with nothing in your hand. Leave expecting to do some work, expecting to roll up your sleeves. The Christian is not saved by studying scripture. But the saved Christian makes an effort to be in scripture. This might mean getting up early. This might mean going to sleep later. It might mean mercilessly cutting out distractions that are keeping you from the word of God. It means making every effort to make sure you're there. The Christian is not saved by going to church. But the redeemed Christian goes to church and they make every effort to make sure that this is a central priority in our lives. This impacts the way that that we think about sports for children. This impacts the way that we think about how many vacations we're going to take, how much time we're going to be away. It means uh, prioritizing being in worship even when we are away. It means making every effort to make sure that our, our life is regulated by the rhythms of worship. The Christian is not saved by prayer, but the Christian prays. Today's message on Grounded and Growing in Christ will continue in just a moment. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, to listen to other messages from our audio ministry, or to make a financial gift of any amount, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. That's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This audio ministry is made possible by gifts from listeners like yourself, and we greatly appreciate all those of you who continue to make it possible to share this work with listeners across Chicagoland. Now let's return to today's message. Now this might be an apocryphal story, but there's a story about Martin Luther that he was a man deeply devoted to prayer. And there was one day where he had his day utterly filled up with engagements. From the very beginning of the day to the very end, he knew it was going to be an extraordinarily busy day. And because of that, it was going to be a uniquely exhausting day. He was going to particularly need his sleep that day. But knowing that his day was going to be filled with activities, he endeavored to get up all the earlier to spend a longer amount of time in prayer than usual, saying, given the, given the busyness of my day, I will particularly need to be in prayer today. For the regular day, will will close out my opportunity to pray. And my exhaustion of body will mean I need to be refreshed in spirit. And so he made the effort to get up earlier to pray. Make every effort. It's like with everything. If you don't work at it, you're not going to be good at it. You know, there's a difference that we need to come to understand in our own minds about sincerity and seriousness. There are probably a lot of things that we would sincerely like to do. 
Like, I would sincerely love to be able to play the piano. I'm not serious about it because I'm not spending any time learning how to play the piano. I'd sincerely love for that ability just to be transformed and, you know, transferred into my mind and my fingers so that I just, like, randomly was an exceptional pianist. But I'm not serious enough to spend the time doing the work to learn piano. There, sometimes we can be tempted to believe that sincerity is all that we need in the course of the Christian life. I would sincerely love to grow in my faith. That might be a deeply, truly sincere thing that you would like to happen, but unless you are serious about it, it won't happen. We need to move from the place where we're like, I sincerely would like to grow to the place where we're like, I, will, I, will, I would seriously, seriously take to heart this need to make every effort if I do want to grow. We need to move from sincerity to seriousness in the course of our Christian life. Move from, I would really love to be there to, I am going to take steps to be there. Man, I'd really love to know the scriptures better. To, I will take steps to know the scriptures better. I'd really love to pray more to, what, this is what I'm going to do. This is my plan. This is what I will do week in and week out, day in and day out, to spend more time in prayer. Sincerity to seriousness. Make every effort. We need to work. And here's what we need to answer in our own minds and in our own hearts. Am I making every effort to grow in faith? Or have I become a lazy, complacent Christian? Or, or am I making some effort but not every effort? And if the reality or if the truth that we land on is, you know, I'm not making all of the effort that I could or should in the course of our Christian life, then we need to endeavor and plan and be serious about how things will change. How is it? How is it that I will grow in faith? What are the efforts that I will and must make? But the Christian makes every effort. And the Christian makes every effort to add to our faith. So we're told in verse 5, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. With virtue. That's the first thing that we're called to. We add to our faith virtue. We supplement our faith with virtue. This means a moral excellence. A Christian is morally excellent. We work hard. We work hard in our lives. We should, at least, to excel in virtue. Now, the natural thing that you and I will excel at is justifying our behavior and making it, you know, like coming up with excuses for why it is that we do this or that or the other thing. Let's cut out justifying our behavior and start working towards virtue. We are made holy by Christ Jesus, but there is a growth in holiness that can and does come to those who are being sanctified in the Holy Spirit. And we should make every effort to say that that needs to be me. You know, there's very little, there's very little that is more attractive, I think, than a a truly holy person. And the person that is serious about their Christian faith says, that must be me. So I'm going to start doing the practices that will cultivate a holiness within me. Scripture says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with Knowledge. Now, knowledge spoken here is, is almost certainly the knowledge of Jesus Christ. The Christian comes to know Jesus better. You know, our natural inclination is always going to be to shape and to form Jesus into our own image so that he never confronts us, so that he never troubles us, so that he never makes us feel uncomfortable. But that's not the real Jesus. We need to know the real Jesus. We need to know the real Jesus enough to be confronted by him. 
We need to encounter the real Jesus so that we might take up our cross and follow him, not use him as a means to preserve our comfort. We need to deepen and widen our knowledge of Jesus so that we can be increasingly formed to the real Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, and not the Jesus of our our own invention or imagination. Make every effort to add, to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control. My goodness, this one is hard, isn't it? Self-control is hard. I think we can testify this to this testify to this today, and, and it, may be, it may be harder today than at most times in history, because basically whatever you could possibly want could be delivered to your home tomorrow. Whatever you could possibly want or desire could be delivered to your home tomorrow, or whatever you could possibly want to eat, you could get just by driving to that place that you want to eat at. You know, I, I, you know, I end up in my own mind about things sometimes, and one of the things that often like amazes me is that I'll step into a grocery store and I will just be amazed at the grocery store. I'll step into Meyer and I'll just be like, I cannot believe how much food there is here. And I just think about the fact that, you know, if we were to go back in time, you know, like 150 years, I would never see such an array of food like that ever. And I would never even be able to like imagine it in the course of my mind. And I think about the fact that it's like, oh my goodness, whatever I could possibly want to eat, I just have to like drive two minutes down the street and I can do it. I can, I can like fill myself with it. It takes a great deal of self-control to avoid things now. Do you know that people that lived a hundred years ago never had to have the self-control to avoid a ho-ho? And those things are so hard to avoid. (laughs) We need self-control. We live in a time where it is so hard to find that or to know that. The Christian makes every effort to supplement their faith with virtue and the virtue of knowledge and knowledge with self-control. So are there things that you eat too much? Are there things that you drink too much of? The Christian makes every effort not to do that. Do you watch too much TV? Are you too enthralled with your phone? The Christian makes every effort to avoid that temptation. Do you watch that which you should not? The Christian makes every effort to avoid. Do you say things that you must not? The Christian makes every effort to be self-controlled enough to refrain. That's a hard one. And then to supplement self-control with steadfastness is what we're told. Steadfastness is endurance in a spiritual battle. It's It's the perseverance to stand firm in one's commitment to Jesus over the long haul even in the face of persecution or hardship. It's the courage to remain faithful to Jesus, even if others tell you that the teachings of Jesus are unimportant or weird or old-fashioned or out of date or any such thing. The Christian works hard to persevere in steadfastness, to be steadfast in the midst of all sorts of voices that tell you not to be. And to add steadfastness with godliness. Godliness is, is being like God. This is similar to virtue, but what a lot of commentators say is that godliness seems to have with it also this notion of a commitment to justice, to see things set aright. 
and to supplement godliness with brotherly affection. Now, this is kindness towards others. This needs to be a central way that that you and I interact with each other and with others, a brotherly affection. And it's descriptive language, isn't it, right? Now, obviously, brothers and sisters can sometimes fight like crazy. But at the end of the day, who are you going to defend more than your brother or your sister? You know, it's, it's the sort of thing where you know, somebody starts saying mean things to your brother and your sister, and you're like, cut that out. Only I can say that to them, right? You don't have any right. Whenever, whenever a, a sibling of mine was, was like being insulted or criticized, that is when like the ire would arise in me. I was like, no way. You are not going to mess with my sister. You're not going to mess with my brother. And that's the way that we're to act with each other. We're to defend each other. We're to speak honestly with each other. We're to, be, we're to have affection, a, a godly affection towards one another in Christ Jesus. And, and sometimes this is hard because people are hard. And so we need to make every effort to this end. And then to add to brotherly affection, love. This is the greatest Christian virtue. We're told that in 1 Corinthians, the greatest of these is love. This is the great Christian virtue. This is the thing that we need to put on above all things. We need to make sure that we are characterized by love. Love is seeking the good of others. It's desiring the good of others and then working to accomplish that good in another. And we need to make every effort to see to it that the good that we desire for other people is, is something that we work towards and that we are focusing on them more than we're focusing on ourselves. This requires effort. And so let me say two things as, as we come to the close here of this message today. The first is this. Are you making every effort? Are you making every effort? Or is it the sort of thing where the Christian life and the Christian way of operating becomes second nature to you? You just sort of are coasting in the course of your Christian life. You're like, yeah, I, you know, I'm a Christian. I don't put forward all that much effort any longer, but yeah, I know I'm okay. I want to encourage today a moral reformation. I want to encourage us to take stock of our life and to then make every effort to remove from our life that which is spiritually harmful to us. To remove from our life that which is taking our attention away from the glory of Jesus. To acknowledge You know, I've been struggling with this sin and I haven't been struggling against it. And then to to, to talk to somebody about it, to seek out some godly accountability about that, to make every effort to rid that from your life. And And then here's the second thing. There's something really wonderful that comes when we do make every effort towards virtue and holiness and godliness and and affection and self-control. There's an amazing freedom that we receive and and start start to get. There's an author, uh, R.R. Reno, I was reading this week, he was referencing Thomas More, and he said, it is that which we love and will not betray that liberates us. And I thought that's really beautiful. And I think it's true insofar as that thing which we love is is not an idol. And when our love is properly ordered, when we've put over all of these virtues love, we find that we are greatly set free, that we are greatly liberated. 
Yeah, that's what the Heidelberg Catechism says as well, that if you want to have freedom and joy and comfort, that you need to acknowledge your sin and misery, to recognize that you've been set free from that, and then to live in a way that honors God. And so let me just tell you this morning that, that if, you, if you want to have an increasing measure of joy in your life, if you want to know a deeper amount of freedom in your life, then making every effort to deepen your faith and to add and supplement your faith with virtue and with knowledge and with self-control and with godliness and with steadfastness and with brotherly affection and love, it will lead you to increasing joy and increasing freedom. Let's be a people that are morally reformed, having been saved and redeemed by the all-encompassing work of God. Amen. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we pray. We pray that you would enable us to be people who are morally reformed, having been transformed by the gospel. We pray that today, that this week, that always, that we would make every effort to supplement our faith and to add to it virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and love. And we pray all of this in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. My prayer is that the Lord speaks to you through his word, that we cultivate grateful hearts to him and flourish in a world searching for the hope that we find only in Jesus. To hear more about gratitude, to learn about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, or to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160 through this audio ministry, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. I'm Pastor Dan Rhoda, and on behalf of the Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the Bible here on AM 1160. If you're not part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Grounded and Growing in Christ can be heard weekdays at 2 p.m. on AM 1160. I'm Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church. This month, we're focusing on the topic of gratitude throughout the Bible, exploring how God has instructed us to flourish in the world with hearts grateful and thankful to God. If you're not a part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com.